Um, I'm now going to invite Rich up to um, speak, but I'm going to read the passage uh, from Ephesians that he's going to be preaching to us from. Um, So this is from Ephesians 5, um, verses 18 to 20. 21, 21. Um, So verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Rich. Amen. You can hang on to that, actually, Grace. I've got my own. Cheers. How's everyone doing? Is everyone all right? Yeah, good, good. Um, Well, it's so good to have you here. If you are new, if we haven't met, um, then uh, let me, I guess, give you a little hello now, a little welcome now. I'd love to meet you later. Um, And we are in a series at the moment, a teaching series on worship. So, so far, we have looked at a number of different things. So we've looked at a life of worship, and that kind of focused a little bit on our kind of individual lives of of worship. We looked at um, spiritual gifts and how they enrich the corporate body when we come to worship uh, like this. And then we've looked last week at lament and what it means to grieve publicly the things of this world, the fact that this, this life is, is not as it should be and that we feel that from time, to, well, a lot of the time. And it's a really powerful moment, actually, and the fact that there's permission to share in that together. Um, but tonight, we are looking at what it means to be filled with the Spirit and how that engages our personal lives and how that engages our corporate times together, our times of worship. And um, I guess... As I say that, I think we have got our work cut out for us this evening, just to let you know from the offset. Uh, Our framing passage is Ephesians 5, but we are going to go many different places, okay? Think broad sweep. And the reason that we are doing a broad sweep of the narrative of Scripture is because to look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in any depth, like, you have to do that. Like, to bring some clarity, we've got to look at a few different places. So, Don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. You can stay in Ephesians 5 if you've got your Bibles on your laps. The other ones will come up there. I don't want people getting paper cuts, you know, moving through so quickly. And hopefully, my aim tonight is that I'm going to bring some clarity to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Hopefully, you won't get lost along the way. That is my hope, all right? So, um, we not only do we have our work cut out because we've got a lot of ground to cover, We also have our work cut out because I think what we're going to look at this evening, what we're covering is one of the most misunderstood and confusing parts of Christianity. So the idea that this three-in-one God, this Trinitarian God that Christians believe in, that's the unique perspective we have as Christians, what sets what we believe apart, that God is three, but he's also somehow one, and uh, that two of those persons, I think, are quite easy to get our heads around. So... The father, like, I don't know about you, but, you know, I know, what a, I know what a father is because, you know, I have one. Our biological relationships tell us that. A son, Jesus Christ, we know what a son is because, well, again, our biological relationships. We know that Jesus was a historical figure. We know he was somebody who came to this earth and lived. And whether you believe he was God or not or whether you're here and still on a journey with that one, ultimately, all historians pretty much agree that there was a guy called Jesus who came and lived and died whether he rose again or not, that's the journey you might be on. But that's what we believe here. And so we know what a father is, we know what a son is. But then when it comes to the spirit, 
When it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's like, what's going on there? What kind of territory are we in here? You know, there's um, some places in the Bible it's called the Holy Ghost. It kind of almost sounds a bit mysterious, a little bit spooky even. Like, we're not talking Casper here, okay? I just want to set your minds apart from that. But if we're not talking that, what are we talking? And I think it's interesting that um, basically there's a lot of different perspectives, and if you're here, and especially, I mean, we've had people become Christians in the last like couple of months. It's like, you're like, for you guys, I'm especially like, I hope this, is, this brings some clarity. But not only that, I think if we're honest, some of us who've been Christians quite a while, we're like still on a bit of a journey to understanding what exactly the role of the Spirit is in our lives. And because there is a lot of confusion. So I think we're all in a bit of a similar boat. And I hope we're all hungry to learn. Um, I'm glad that we are looking at this tonight. Not just to try and bring clarity, but because I think anything that we don't really fully understand, we tend to hold at arm's length. And not only that, we tend to be a bit wary of. And over time, we can even get a bit skeptical or scared of. And, um, and I would say that was my experience. So growing up around Christian things, around the church, the church that I was a part of... Um, and this is why I think it will depend on your church background, depend on some of the influences. Well, the church I was a part of was, uh, they would, we, we would go to certain events, and there'd be like a specific, I guess, emphasis on like what we can experience of the Holy Spirit and how we can know him. But I would say that things weren't always explained very well. So I saw the effects of lots of people seemingly like meeting with God in a very powerful way, but without really any explanation. And a lot of the time I thought, this is just a bit weird, like if I'm going to be totally honest. And I didn't know what to do with it. It wasn't explained to me. And I even had times where I felt like certain people wanted me to have a certain experience. And I was like, this just isn't happening, bro. And, and like, God is pretty big. If he wants me to have a certain experience, then he can do it. Like, you don't need to do it. You're shorter than me. You're, you know what I mean? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and, and, and that pushed me, I guess, to a point where I was like, I oh, know I'm dumb. I'm, I'm kind of, I'll leave you know, the Holy Spirit, what's that? I'm going to park that. And I guess I threw myself headlong more into understanding other parts of God's character. I was like, I'll, I'll just learn about all these other truths about him. And I kind, of, I kind of parked the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't a very good idea because he's, you know, he, he is God. And, and I had stunted my understanding and my experience of by maybe a slightly negative experience. And some of you might be like, that's not my experience at all. I grew up in a church where, you know, it, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Like it was Father, Son, and you had a Holy Bible. And, and those, you know, that was our trinity. And I say that kind of jokingly, but that's the reality. Some places just don't really know what to do with him. So we kind of just leave him alone. And if that was your experience, then you might have had something of mine as well. And, and I guess my negative experience led to the fact that I lived out a lot of my older teenage years as a Christian in my own strength. Like I just tried really hard to like beat sin in my life. I just tried really hard in my own strength to do a lot of things. And I didn't really feel much power. I, you know, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, and we'll come on to this, as a helper, as an advocate, as a comforter. And I didn't know any of those things, particularly in my life, because he was over here and I and I, and I hadn't really looked in, I hadn't I hadn't drawn close. And I guess I don't want that to be our experience. I want our experience today to grow, to be deeper, and ultimately to work, learn again fresh, and not just learn, but actually draw near to what it means to 
actually experience his intimacy in our life, to actually know him more. And that is my hope. And it's really important that you don't sit here and think, you know, this is a take it or leave it, or that you're not a bit kind of nonchalant about it. Because I don't know what your thoughts are at the moment, but you really need to know that it's by the Holy Spirit's power that we'll accomplish anything in this life, anything and everything. Here's just some of the things that we need his help with. He helps us to love Jesus more. So in our own strength, we're going to really struggle to do that sometimes. He helps us beat sin in our lives. He makes us bold in our witness. We're going to see that he helps us love other people more. And that by drawing near and by experiencing and knowing him more, we'll have power behind our prayers. And I don't know about you, but that's a list of things that I could really do some help with. So I see a few people nodding, so I'm going to carry on. Um, We're going to look at who is the Holy Spirit to start with. We're going to look at how do I grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit and what should we expect to see in our lives and in the church. Okay, so if we're doing that, what should we expect to notice and see? So firstly, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's start at the beginning. I mean the very beginning. So in Genesis, Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's the image that we get. Now, the word spirit can be also translated breath of God or wind of God, and it was hovering over the waters. Then God spoke, let there be light, and I guess the rest is history, but it's really important you notice this is the first mention of God's Spirit in the Old Testament, which is the first half of our Bibles, if you're new here. First half of our Bibles, the Old Testament. This is the very first mention of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of God, God's Spirit. And I find that interesting that this idea of breath is coupled with water, because those are the, I guess, two images that are used to describe the Spirit and what he does through the rest of the Bible in lots of different ways. And we have them both here at the very beginning. You know, the breath of God hovering over the waters. His creative Spirit in the very beginning. Now, between Genesis and Isaiah, who's a prophet, we don't read lots about the Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't know if you've thought that, that your New Testament seems to be stacked way more in talking about who the Spirit is and the Holy Spirit than your Old Testament. But there are moments, okay? But it seems like they are specific moments for specific purposes and often on specific people, all right? It's not everybody's experience. So, for example, Joshua, successor to Moses, as he's leading the people into the promised land, in the book of Numbers, it says this, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Okay? Another key moment in Israel's history, Gideon, as he fought the Midianites, says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So God's Spirit came upon him somehow, came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and the Asbajites, I will work on that one for you, uh, they, they gathered behind him as he did this, okay? So it seems to be that specific times, specific purposes with specific people, okay? Now, between, there, there are a few other instances, and, and I'm trying to keep this as short as I can for you, so that's why we're not going into all of them which I hope there's some uh, understanding of uh, from you. But 
in Isaiah then, in Isaiah 44, so now this is a long period afterwards, there is this amazing image that is painted of the Holy Spirit that one day he would come out almost into the light. So, so far it's almost like he's kind of been in the shadows, like he's here and then he's kind of kind of comes back again and then he's here in another moment and he comes upon someone's specific purpose and then, and then he kind of comes, comes back again. But this is almost saying there is one day where he's going to come out into the light kind of kind of once and for all. And this is the day he's talking about in Isaiah 44. And me and you, this will be lost on us unless we can do a real a, a thing real quick, okay? Because this imagery, you've got to imagine, they are in the desert, okay? They're, for their hearers, this passage goes on to talk about thirst, and it goes on to talk about thirst being quenched, and they live in the desert. So for a moment, just think, you're not in Leeds, you haven't got your nice water that's in a you know, reusable cup and all of that right next to your foot. You are like, close your eyes, you're in a barren land, it's dry. Think, think how thirsty you've ever been. Think, you know, get off the plane and the fan's blowing and you're like, where am I? Like, this is horrible. It feels close, it feels dry, it feels barren. Okay, that's where you are for a moment. Let me read this out. This is the promise that's given. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your, descendant, <coughs> on your descendants. Then, sorry, they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. See, the expectation is now the spirit is pouring out in the future. There is a day that's going to come where it's going to be poured out, not like specific moments, not just here and there, but it's going to be poured out not just a one-off occasion. And not only that, but what's it going to produce? It's going to produce a life in people. So this is going to be an actual lifestyle, a way people live. And it says, you know, it's going to, as it happens, they're going to spring up like grass in a meadow. So as the Spirit's poured out, life is going to spring up in people's lives. It's an amazing picture to people who live with thirst as a daily reality. And then we have another moment in Joel. The prophet Joel says also about this day that is coming when the Spirit is going to be poured out. He says this, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And we see this come into reality in the book of Acts. If you know anything about the book of Acts, then you'll know that it is the kick-starting of the church, that 2,000 years ago, something kick-started, which means you're sat here right now, and that was what Joel prophesied about, that was what Isaiah was talking about, and it became a reality for them 2,000 years ago, and now you're living in the good of it. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Pretty good to know. Some of you are like, hmm, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, so, this is what happens, and, and we see these moments. So that's what the prophets have said about the Spirit. But what does Jesus say? It's always helpful to look at what Jesus says. He normally says some pretty important things. What does Jesus say? He actually brings a clarity about the Spirit uh, and about who he is and what he does. He refers to the Holy Spirit as a person, not a force, not an it, not a thing, not an object. He refers to him as a person. And he even says it is better to his disciples, he says it is better for me to leave so that he can come. That's what he says to them. 
Just think about this. Like, you've been walking with Jesus, you've seen his miracles, you've, you've sat at his feet, you've, you've watched his life, and all of a sudden he dies, and you think, oh my gosh, and then like there's the, there's the days in between when he rose again, and you're living in this sense of, of fear, and, and then all of a sudden he returns to you. It's like, wow, you were who you said you were. Like, we have him back. Like, finally, we thought we had lost you forever, and now you're here. And, and he's like, yeah, and I'm off again. I'm, ab- I'm about to go. But don't worry. Don't worry, Izzy. Don't worry, Ben. Don't worry, Tom. Don't worry, Sam. Don't worry. It's better for me to go because I'm going to leave with you my spirit, my Holy Spirit. And I don't know whether they could get their heads around that at that point, but this is who he is and what he does. He says he's an advocate, our advocate. So this is our comforter and our counselor. And in another passage, he says, if you love me, just as Jesus speaking, you'll keep my commands. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. So he's not going anywhere. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You know, I, this, this idea of an advocate, this is, think of a, um, a lawyer pleading a case before a judge. And, and this is part of the role of the Spirit. And, and I think I didn't really, this word, I, di- I didn't really have a full understanding of what an advocate really does and the power of it um, until a few years ago in one of my jobs, I was a youth worker, and I worked with some pretty uh, tough kids who've had pretty tough backgrounds. And in part of my role, I had to go to this meeting. And in this meeting, there was um, a police uh, kind of commissioner, local commissioner. There was uh, the head of the school. There were school governors. There were social workers. You name it. There was anyone who was important in this kid's life. They were there. And they all had a different perspective of this lad who I'd been mentoring and, and befriending and just trying to kind of want him the best for. And I got asked to come because basically he was about to get kicked out of his school and there was all these different interactions and none of them were positive. But mine was positive. Mine had a pretty positive relationship and interaction with him. And I got asked basically to speak on his behalf because this is a really important meeting. And in this meeting, if he was to lose his head, he had, because of his different interactions with these people before and the history, it would be hard for him to, to keep his cool in different ways. And if he was to lose head, it wouldn't have gone well. So I was asked to speak on his behalf and because he, he, he trusted me to do so. And I did my best and I spoke on his behalf and I, and I, I said to them just the type of lad that I have seen because they had all shared their perspective and I shared mine. And I guess I, I advocated on his behalf and I don't know how particularly well I did it but that day, I had a new appreciation. I went back home, and I think it was a couple of weeks later, I was reading about how the Holy Spirit is our advocate. And I was like, wow, like where I failed or felt like I maybe could have done better, man, God never fails as he advocates on our behalf to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is doing that all the time. He's interceding all the time. He's praying for you all the time. He's your advocate. You need to know that is a powerful thing. So he's an advocate, he's a comforter, and he's a counselor. He sounds like the kind of person that we'd want to know, doesn't he? Just on the face of it. Grace agrees. And um, in case we were just unsure, just in case there was still a bit of distance between like, kind of what we were thinking about this, this is what Jesus says in Luke uh, 11. He says this. 
So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who receives, sorry, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So he's saying saying to the disciples, ask for the Holy Spirit and you will not be left wanting. All right? You will get what you're asking for. And then he goes on to say, just in case they were still unsure, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Like 101 of parenting, don't do that. Like, you know, like that is, and he's saying, if you are not going to make that mistake, how much more so am I not going to make that mistake? So, i.e., what you are going to receive is going to be a really good thing. It's not something to be wary of. And I don't know if we've become a bit wary, or maybe you've grown up with a misunderstanding which meant that you've felt wary, like I had, and I said before. But Jesus is saying to us here, we don't need to be wary. It's a good gift he has for us. So all that being said, if we can agree that the Holy Spirit is is a person, he's somebody we should want to get to know, not somebody to be wary of, then how do we actually go about growing in our relationship with the Holy Spirit? Like, how do we get to know him more and see his work in our life more. And um, just to let you know, that was the shorter of the points. This one is going to be a bit longer. And the last one is uber quick, all right? So just to set your expectations right there. Okay, how do we grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit? Well, um, this is where the confusion can come in. And there is a whole, there's there's a little bit of a, not a whole range, there is a range of opinions on this. And what I want to say at the start is that you will have people in your life, friends, other people at CU, things like that, who will have some different opinions on this. And I have lots of friends who have some different opinions on this. And the key is that they're my friends still. They're not like old friends like because of this. Like, you know, they're still friends. And they're our brothers and sisters. And Jesus is super clear that the way the world will know of who Jesus is, one of the main ways of witness is by the unity that is seen in the church. And that's really important just to kind of hear that because as we engage with what our convictions are and the things that we are persuaded by because I'm about to say that as mosaic these are the things we're persuaded by you can hold and live in the good of a conviction but also have grace for other convictions that makes sense so just just kind of hold that intention as we go through so I'm going to outline four views um, and really the main question comes about when it's about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, okay? So, and the main point of contention is when this filling happens. So, is it that when we become a Christian, or is it something that happens afterwards, okay? Those are the kind of two things we're going to get into a little bit. And listen, don't worry about the terms. Like, as we get into the terms, don't worry too much about them. And if you love this kind of thing, then you can make your notes. But we'll, we'll, I'll tell you when you can kind of properly check back in if you're like, hang on, I'm a bit lost. All right, you have the conservative evangelical view, okay? You have the Pentecostal view. You have the ongoing charismatic view, and you have the traditional charismatic view. Half of you are not in the room anymore. No, I'm joking. Um, Stay with me. So the uh, conservative evangelical view. So this is you receive, you always receive all of the Holy Spirit at conversion, and, and that's it. You have him. It's, kind of a, it's a, kind of a one-time deal. You have all of him. That's it. The Pentecostal view is that there is an experience after conversion, and it's not necessarily automatic. So not all Christians have received the Holy Spirit, 
And proof of whether you have him or not will be whether you speak in tongues, which is a heavenly language that the Bible talks about in lots of different places. Okay? The ongoing charismatic view would be that you do receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. That is, you receive him at conversion when you become a Christian, when you trust in Jesus. But, so all Christians have him within them, really clear. But you also can be filled again with the Holy Spirit after conversion. And that will be not just one time, but that will be like many, many times through your life. Then there is the traditional charismatic view, which would be you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion or afterwards, but the key is it's kind of one specific significant time, and you know whether it's happened, uh, and it's not necessarily evidenced by speaking in tongues. Okay? Lots of kind of astute faces looking back at me. So jargon over, um, but just so you know, we would fit as a church into the third view, so the ongoing charismatic view, and meaning that if you have become a Christian, then you receive the Holy Spirit, you are filled, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you can also be baptized, filled, and receive the Holy Spirit again and again, and these three words, received, I've just used received, baptized, filled, they are different uh, words that do use different times through the New Testament seemingly to describe uh, the same thing, so It is a repeatable, a definite, tangible experience. And that's what I want us to be be hungry for as we move forward. But if you're kind of not quite convinced yet, and I would hope you're not because I've just kind of told you, but let's let's look at a few passages. Track with me, if you will. It seems to be clearly that there are verses that say, when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. So Romans 8 and not, but verse 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, not the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you, have, if you are a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what that would say. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you? All right? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. So he is indwelt in you. He has taken up residence in you. Paul here writing to Christians, assuming that they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You've also got Ephesians 1, 13. says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Time and time again, and there are more verses that we have time to look at, but time and time again, when you become a Christian, when you trust in Jesus, you receive, you are indwelt, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And just this word baptized, by the way, imagine just dripping wet, drench. Drench is one of the words that comes from baptizer. All right? So, that all being said... Confusingly, though, at first glance, there are also lots of other verses that talk about us being filled with the Holy Spirit after we've become Christians, too. And uh, so what's that about? So Ephesians 5.18 says, uh, we've just read it out, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul, writing to Christians who already have the Holy Spirit, telling them to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 31, after they had prayed, 
the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So their bold witness came from the filling of the Spirit. And most of these believers, it's not all of them, were already there in Acts 2, which I talked about just before at the start, which when the church was kick-started and they received the Spirit. So they were there then and they're here again now and they seem to be receiving the Spirit again. And this happens again and again in the New Testament. So we believe if you're a Christian here today, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You, you really do. But you also, we also believe that there is more that, that we can receive. And I guess the question then would be, well, how can you receive something that you've already received or be filled with something you're already filled with? You know, like, like that can be a question. I've heard that question a lot. And I've got a couple of images which I just hope will help uh, as, we, as we go through. So first image is this. It's about relationship. It's important that we remember the Holy Spirit is a person and not a thing. So, you know, if you have an object, then you have an object. But if it's a person, then you can constantly grow and get to know a person, can't you? So importantly, um, if we just saw the Holy Spirit as a doctrine, so just a truth about God, and not as a person, then we would say, well, I have it, how can I have more of it? And... Um, and here's my example. So imagine, so while, so I'm, Be- I'm married to Beth, who's uh, just out of the room, actually, maybe helpfully, actually, just uh, in sparklers at the moment with the younger children. And when I started dating Beth, there was, you know, I was looking forward to a date when we might get married. And, and then this date happens, and, and you know, it's a, it's a big day, and we make these promises in front of everyone that's important in our lives, and our families, and our friends, and before God, and we make these promises to one another for life, okay? Now, I could, you know, stand there after it's all been done, ceremony's over, ring on my finger and all that, and say, well, that's it. I have Beth. Great. This is the pinnacle. This is, this is it. I have, her, you know, like we've just made these promises for life. How can I have any more? This is it, surely. And if I turn to my best man and says, wow, I'm glad that this, that this is like, you know, the best moment and, and it seems like that this is it, I think he would look at me like I have been living under a rock. Or like, you know, somehow I've been homeschooled for too long or something. It's like, no, there's, a, there's actually a night coming and there's going to be lots of nights coming. And not only that, but there is more. This thing is a relationship and that you get to know them relationally and emotionally and physically. And, and this is not just the pinnacle, okay? And, um, and I say that because I think sometimes we can think like, oh, if, if, if we, you know, have something, then that's it. But seeing it as a relationship, hopefully, is helpful. There is more, that the Christian life is, is an adventure. It's, it's something, someone that we can grow to know more of as we see God's work in our life in different seasons and the rest of it. And I feel like half of you got where I was going with that and half of you maybe still slightly too innocent for that. But we will move on because my parent and my in-laws are in the room as well. So, relationship. The second image is infilling, Okay. So uh, this image of um, being filled, I think sometimes when we think of something being filled, we think of a water and a cup, or we think of a garden, a watering a plant, or something like that. And for me, I think oftentimes this was like not, it's not like a bad image, but it wasn't super helpful because sometimes I think, well, I'm either sometimes I can be filled with him, but then where's the Holy Spirit going? Like if, like, 
if, if it's from the outside in like that, it's like almost like he's, he's with us sometimes. Like sometimes he can be like a gardener watering a plant, present. And then other times, you know, he's absent. And I'm on my own over here. And, and, and when we think about this being filled from the outside in. And a helpful image for me was think about it almost more. And obviously images always break down. But more as if you think of infilling like, like a water feature. Like the water comes up from the inside and bubbles to the outside, right? It's from the inside out. Or think of a spring, a freshwater spring where it bubbles up from the middle, okay? It's not necessarily just coming down from the outside, but it fills from the inside out. Because he's not leaving you. He's not like sometimes with you and sometimes off because he needs to be with another Christian somewhere. He's like, he's always with you. And, and he can fill you from the inside out. And I hope that that is a kind of helpful image potentially. But then there's also the fact that we need this to be continuous and not just a one-time thing. Because I don't know about you, but I think we leak. Like genuinely. Like we have to go through life and we take knocks in life and we get distracted in life. And this is where I should have bought my prop. I should have had a balloon. You know, if I, if I breathed air into a balloon, which is helpful because he talks about it being breath. So if I breathe my breath into a balloon and I just held it, or even if I tied a knot in it, like you come back to that balloon after it's been batted around by some kids for a while or something. It's like you come back to it. It's, it's going to look a bit saggy. It's going to not look great. Air is going to have been released from the balloon. But then if I untied it and I breathed air back in, it would, from the inside out, it would fill again. And all of a sudden you could, you know, it could be played with again or, or whatever, and it would serve its purpose again. And that could happen over and over and over again. And, and I think that that is important to remember that we, I guess, we give ourselves to other things sometimes, don't we? Don't we? And we get distracted sometimes. And all of those things mean that sometimes I feel like, well, not full of much at all, to be honest. Enthusiasm, passion, like God wearing you in the midst of this. And it's like, our prayer can be, God, would you fill me again, Lord? Or would you draw near to me again? Because it's an invitation. He says, ask. So he tells us to ask, not like, he says, ask and you receive. And we can do that again and again. So we understand that this, I guess, how it happens, the fact that we need, that there is a need but how does this kind of filling actually go about? How are we filled? Well, I want to talk about two things. Habit and experience. Experience, I'll do first. Experience and habit. Because how do we obey, I guess, a command or take seriously something that we've been asked to do? And if, you're in, uh, if you like English language, then you'll know that this is a passive verb. So saying be filled, right? Now, how do we obey that? Be filled, it's like if I said to you, be phoned by your mom, Harriet, you'd look at me like somebody needs to do something to make that happen, right? And, that, and I would say that's true, like God is the one who does it. But he's a, it's a command to, 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 the, to the Ephesian church, be filled. So how do we go about obeying this command? Is it something that just happens to us? We don't have any role in it, it just happens to us, you know? Or... Is it something that actually, are there some things that we can actually do? Like, is it just an experience that happens, or is it a habit that we can grow in? And there's some things that we can do that help. And, uh, and I think it's both. And I think a lot of the time we'll say, actually, that's a helpful thing. It's not always both, but kind of often is. And I do think it's both, and here's why. 
We've talked about this analogy of water, that I said at the start, and breath. So this idea of wind and breath. And um, if anybody in here has been sailing before, just pop your hand up for a moment so I know I'm talking to you. A bit higher, come on. I mean, like sailing. I'm not asking you to mug someone. Like, what? Okay, so quite a few people have been sailing. All right. So I've been sailing uh, twice, uh, actually. I know, look at that. <laughs> Resident on the sea regularly. No, I've been sailing twice. And, um, and the first time I went sailing, it wasn't a huge boat, and I didn't really know much what to expect. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't expecting much. And uh, I was with my dad and my uncle and my brother. And we're in these quite, quite small boats, but they still have these big masts, big sails. And, um, and as we kind of got into these boats, we were being told that, you know, get this harness around you. And I kind of looked at this harness like, why do I need to wear that? Like, I looked at the guy who had it like, what's, what's this all about? And he was like, no, seriously, it's going to be a windy day. Like, I've checked the forecast, you'll need it. All right, great. So I put this harness on and all the rest of it. But I still wasn't expecting much. And I tell you, when we unfurled these sails, like when we got this thing pointing in the right direction, we accelerated. Like, and I have quite a fast car. But seriously, we accelerated. I felt the, the wind in my short hair. And, and I was like, this is... This is a genuine experience. And like we, we skipped along the water and we did that thing where you have to like, well, I was nearly thrown out at one point, but I was so glad for the harness. I looked at harness man and thought, you had my back. You knew what was going on all along. And you have to lean out. And it was a laser. So you kind of lean out and you have to counter the balance and the wind. And it's phenomenal. And it was even better when my uh, brother and my uncle capsized uh, their boat um, <laughs> because they were not leaning in the right direction. And somehow we were. So it was undoubtedly an experience. Like it, I, I, really, I really did feel it. And then there were other times where the wind died down and, and not too much happened, to be honest. We had to wait and we had to turn and try and get in the right direction for the wind to blow again. Um, but we, have, we felt the effects of the wind in our sails. And it took us somewhere. It actually had a purpose. You know, we were going somewhere. And we skipped along the water. And... Uh, and I want to say, just like that, when the Holy Spirit fills us, I think we do experience it. I think it would be, be a bit weird, kind of not to, in some ways. Uh, sometimes people have said things like this. It's not about an experience with God. It's about faith. It's just about faith. And, um, and, we, don't need, and we don't need to worry if we don't feel anything. And I'd say, kind of I'd say yes to that, in part, because, you know, there are times when I don't necessarily feel like I experience God. I don't have a crisis of faith because my faith is based on what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago and my faith in him. So I don't have a crisis of faith in those moments. But, and, and, and lastly, my, my, my faith also kind of informs my experience. It's that way around. But then I would also say the times that I have known and experienced God's peace, his joy and his love, and it's been really genuine, like I've really experienced it. It strengthens my faith. So those encounters with God, those special moments, they've made me stronger and want to live for him more and, and more bold. And, and so, so, it, so it's both. And I don't know, and there's this, how we necessarily kind of got there. But this thing of wanting us to go, no, it's not at all about an experience. And, and I know that actually... Uh, in certain times, periods of history, things have been made all about the experience. 
And I am 100% not saying that is what it's about. But I think it would be slightly weird if the God of the universe who loves me and you, who is actually, not theoretically, but actually come and died for us, and he's put his spirit in us, and he loves us, if that, if that didn't sometimes touch us in a way that actually evokes something. Does that make sense? And at every time I see people who experience God all through the Bible... I, see, I don't see it as cold and mechanical. It doesn't feel like that to me. Like there were just, yeah, there were times where God withdrew and, and he was quiet and they still persevered. But I also see times of real joy and closeness and intimacy. And, and I want the same. I don't want to just be moving on with a, with a different kind of Christianity. I want to I experience somewhat what they did. Um, so I think there'll be times where you'll have some real experiences of God's love, of his peace, of his joy. And I hope those things strengthen your confidence in him. That being said, I think everyone's experience will be, will be different. And I think um, that's because we are all different. We're all, we're all unique. And uh, it would be strange if we all had the same experience. So we don't all need to be respond in the same way. And that's okay. And some people will have times where they will feel probably quite overwhelmed. You might see people cry. You might see people just smiling with joy and it's kind of bubbling up and it's almost like they can't contain it. And you'll see, you'll see all sorts of responses and some people might feel so heavy that they just need to sit down. Like, and I think it's important that we don't see other people's experiences, look down on it, skeptical of it, point fingers at it, but also that we don't see it and go, ah, ah, I haven't felt that long for others' experiences. You need to know that God knows you better than everybody else in this life does. He knows what you need, and he knows how you respond to things. And I guess that's been my experience, some moments of deep peace, some other moments of overwhelming joy, but a lot of times, not necessarily much. And I'm totally okay with that. And here's my little image to hopefully help you, just to bring the last bit of clarity on this point. If you imagine, who likes having a bath? Hands up for baths. We had hands up for sailing, hands up for baths. Great. Like having a bath. Okay. I quite I mean, I like having a bath. I don't have one very often. Um, and, you know, but every now and again, I think I might watch something. So I have a screen on maybe, like watch something. I draw the line at incense. It gives me a slight headache. But, you know, everything else I'm cool with. When you want to have a nice bath, what do you want to do? You want it to be full and hot, right? Unless you're in a very hot country, but full and hot. Let's go with that. So you want a full and hot bath. Sometimes... You will go and say it's a bath in someone else's house. I'm assuming you know the person. You know, say you're back at your parents' house or something, and you turn it on, and for whatever reason, like, it's just a trickle of water. And you're like, okay, this is going to take a while, but it's okay, it's hot. I'm just going to be here a while. And then other times you have a bath, and you turn on, and all of a sudden the water pressure is so high, it feels like it nearly blasts it out of the bath. Okay? It's like, it's a real powerful experience. You're like, wow, okay, that just happened, and this isn't going to take long. And then other times you have like air in the pipes, probably the most annoying, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's just a bit strange, and there's obviously air, and it's air in the water. But the point is, it's not about how the bath gets filled that's important, is it? Is how the bath gets filled important? No, it's at the end of the day, you have a nice, hot, full bath that you get to get into a full bath. And I guess I'd want to say that the same is when it comes to our experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that however it happens and the different experience, the point is that at the end of the day, that you, he, he fills you and that you do live in the power and the good of, of who he is. That is the important part. 
So it's an experience. I do think it is. And ours will all look different. But it is also a habit that we can cultivate. I think that's true too. And here's what I mean. This is where the sailing picture helps us still. You know, if for the sailor the mast isn't up and the wind blows, you're not going to catch it. All right? If you're not pointing in the right direction, if you haven't got yourself sea ready, you haven't kind of unfurled the sails in the right direction, the wind will blow and all that will happen is you'll kind of rock from side to side and bob about in the water. That is all that would happen. And I guess I want to say that it seems to be that there are some habits and there's some things that we can grow in and ways we can ready ourselves to be filled with the Spirit. And we talk about this a lot in Mosaic, about spiritual disciplines, about the fact that uh, when you read your Bible or your quiet times or whether you fast or times of solitude or times of silence or, you know, all of those things, and there are, there are many more. But when you do those things, when you serve, when you worship, they're all things that God has given us that almost get us to Jesus' feet. And it's like the point is that as we do those things, that we grow in who he is. It's, it's that image of um, coming under the waterfall of his grace. And these are good things that he's given us to do that means we can grow in the knowledge of who he is. And similarly to that, it seems like Paul is saying there are also some things that we can do. So right off the back of what, uh, this passage, he says this in Ephesians 19. Actually, have we got it on the screen? Okay, we haven't got the bit before. So uh, this is, he's just finished saying, be filled with the Spirit. So the bit before, which is don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then... This is what he goes on to list. So how do we do it? Well, here are some helpful things we can do. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So that's a helpful thing that we can all do. That's all within our power. We've been doing it today. Worship together. Speak truth for one another. Prophesy over one another. Like there is, it seems to be that you will experience and know the power and presence of God with you the more you do some of these things. Psalm 23 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So as we come together, as we worship together, that somehow just in the midst of this, that God is able to, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, that that is something we, we do. And it's like, you might say, oh, our habit, well, I think we are embodied people, right? So doing things does things, okay? So if you go for a run or you go for a cycle, like it will make you feel a certain way because of the act of doing it, because we are, have physical bodies, it will make us feel certain things. And similarly, when we worship together, that that is a something that we can do, he's given us to do, that as we do that by faith, he's saying that God will inhabit the praises of his people. He will come and he will fill you afresh. The second habit, as we ready ourselves, is this. He says next, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's thankfulness. It's not massively complicated, is it, this one? But it's like, wow, thankfulness, living with a heart of thankfulness is one of the ways that God draws near and wants to fill us afresh with his spirit. And as we grow our hearts, hearts of gratitude for the big and small things in life, God fills us with his spirit. I love that. You know, I think thankful people become more grateful people who become more joy-filled people. Like, it, it, I, I see it. I see it in my life with those who I'm around. And I love that this is something you can practice just in everyday life. I love that, you know, 
you're late for a meeting and you see a free car parking space. You can thank God for that car parking space. You can thank God for that little patch of concrete. How great is that? Or you come out of a hospital and you get some good news. As big as that, you, you just let thankfulness, you just dwell on the fact that, wow, like, I don't necessarily deserve this and, and I'm so thankful. You can thank him in both of those, in the small things, in the big things. And as we do, as we thank him for the blessings in our life, it seems to say that he will fill us with his spirit. And I love how one involves us kind of being together, you know, the worship together. And one is like, you can just do it on the bus. You can do it wherever you are. One is corporate, and the other can be, it can be corporate, but it can also be very just individual. Everyday, mundane moments of life as you thank him in the midst of them. Lastly, submit to one another out of reverence for, for Christ. Submission to one another. You thought about this, how submission actually, how we, as we submit our hearts, our minds to Jesus and to one another out of reverence for Christ, that that is one of the ways that God wants to fill us afresh with the person of the Holy Spirit. And obviously the context of this goes on to talk about husbands and wives and parents and children. And, but the broad principle here is the Holy Spirit loves a submitted heart and life. That submit your life out of reverence to him. That he wants to lead you into all truth. He wants to be your counselor, your teacher. So is our life fully submitted to him? That's a question. Just, just dwell on that for a moment. Is your life fully submitted to him? Is it fully submitted to Jesus? Are there, are, there, are there areas of your life where you've felt conviction? Because that's also one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He, he brings conviction in our hearts, the things that we're living in that aren't right. Has he done that? And has you've kind of, have you kind of pushed it to one side? Have you let it kind of, or has the conviction grown dull over time? Have you become a bit desensitized to it because you've just tried to kind of ignore it? Is he putting his finger on some things that he wants you to deal with? so that the Holy Spirit can just fill you afresh so you continue to grow in your relationship with him. And this, I'm not talking about things that you've confessed. I'm not talking about things that you're journeying with others with and that you're bringing to God quickly and that you're repenting over. I'm talking about stuff that maybe has happened or things you're living with that you're just like, mm, I think I kind of know best here. I think actually my vision for my life is better than Jesus' vision for my life. And I might not say that, but the way I'm living kind of shows that. Those are the things I'm talking about. seems like he's saying you want to deal with those things. But actually, we don't, you don't get to kind of just do both. It's, one is the result of another, a submitted life. He wants to come. He wants to fill you afresh. Don't put a blocker in his way. Don't keep holding up barriers by ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, really quickly, and I don't want to miss this, but I know we're slightly over on time. Um, it's a habit we can call today. It's an experience that I do think that we can enjoy and that we... Uh, can encounter as we encounter him but thirdly what should we expect in our lives and in the church just really quickly individually and corporately well firstly the holy spirit loves to make us bold in our witness so as you live out the mission of god in every area of your life he wants to make you bold in your witness the holy spirit is a is a sending spirit you look at every time the holy spirit comes in the pages of scripture like 
people are being sent places and things are happening. And that's where the image of the ship is, the boat of the ship is beautiful because the winds fill the sails. And yes, it's experience, but you're, you're going somewhere. You're not just like sat in the same place, like just, oh, this is nice. It's like you're going somewhere. As he fills you, you're going places. And hopefully that you are becoming more and more bold in your witness as you live among those who don't yet know Jesus. So yes, there'll be moments of intimacy, but it's also filled with purpose. Filled with purpose. It's about comfort and assurance. You should expect to feel comfort and assurance in who you are and who you are in God. He is our comforter. In times of trouble, you should expect to know deep rest in your soul. And we're living at a time when we have the world at our fingertips and often in our pockets. And it is so easily just to be distracted by by just so many different things. And I think increasingly, the people in your lives who don't know Jesus, I'm like, man, people are longing for a... I'm not talking about just peace like a moment. I think people are longing for a deep sense of peace in their very soul. And I think that as you live out your relationship with God, as you um, experience his comfort and his assurance, it'll be one of the most provocative things that you can do as you live out that sense of I'm not living for other things as you experience the joy and the peace that lives inside of you as you grow to know him more as you're obedient to what he says as you as you obey when he brings conviction I think you will be a provocative witness among people who just that isn't their experience so you'll know comfort and assurance in your faith Spiritual gifts, we'll see those at work in the church. We've done a whole week on that. I'm not going to say loads on that, but the spiritual gifts. Listen to Hannah's talk a couple of weeks ago. I think we will see the gifts that he administers in the church. We will see those more and more, and they'll come in in powerful ways, in different ways, in quiet ways, in loud ways, and, and it will be all about glorifying Jesus. And lastly, we'll see spiritual fruit in our lives, i.e. the fruits of the Spirit. And this is like the litmus test of our true I guess, desires in terms of experiencing like, like God and, and longing to know him more. It's like over time, like, do you desire to obey him and follow his commands? Do you desire to put him first? The Holy Spirit is so committed to seeing the body flourish, to see in this family fruit in our lives grow. I'm talking about love, I'm talking about joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness with one another, self-control, not leading each other to mess up or stumble. I'm talking about the things that as they're lived out in our church will just set us apart. And he wants to grow those in our lives. And I guess this is a sign of maturity and it takes time. It doesn't do it just in a, in a moment. It takes time as we come to him regularly, but we should see all of those things just at work in our lives over time that That is what the Holy Spirit loves to do. He loves to bear fruit in the lives of his disciples. So we have covered a lot of ground. And I guess, what do I want to leave us with? Um, I want to ask, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? That was the question that Jesus asked as he looked out on that mountain. He says, are you all who are thirsty, come to me. All who are thirsty, come to me. Come to me and drink. And I guess I want to ask us today, like, are we thirsty? Do we long to know the Holy Spirit's life and love and power in our lives more and more day to day? And, and I hope we do. I hope there is a hunger for that. 
I hope that there is a, a desire to know him more. And I'm most encouraged by the fact that he says, ask and you'll receive. And that is simple. And we overcomplicate so much. So we're going to have a moment now where we're going to get to ask. And I, in faith, know that we will receive. So as the band come and join us, uh, I'd love to pray for us. Would you stand to your feet just for a moment? Let me read these verses again. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Lord Jesus, I thank you um, that you for all of time, have lived in perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for that image, that, that picture that we have of, of you being glorified forever on the throne of heaven. But Lord, I also thank you that you said it is better for me to go so the Holy Spirit can come, so we can take up residence in you, so we can indwell in your life, so we can fill you afresh with the knowledge of who I am, with my peace, with my love, with my joy, with my sweet assurance of faith as you're a deposit of the things that are to come. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have sent him and I thank you that now we can know him, we can ask to know more of his power in our lives. Lord, I pray that this would be a moment where we would ask to receive where we would stand here and say, Holy Spirit, we want to know you more. We want to know you more. Would you fill our lives afresh?